Sports Worldwide on 947, Monday to Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. Hashtag MSW. He's my esteemed guest tonight. He'll tell us all about those hate days. He was reminding me of hey, he was saying, you know what, Rob, I don't do much of these things. I don't do too many interviews, but I'm glad he put his hand up for this one. George, good to see you, man. Welcome to the show. Hi, Robert. Um, yeah, you're too kind. Um, thank you. I'm honored to be here and yeah. um, look forward to the show. I haven't misrepresented anything I said. I know that the history is longer than that little tiny intro that I just kind of try to conjure up for you. It's good to see you. And it's also been good to track the response on social media after putting up, you know, that artwork that we have. And everyone was like, what? George, where have you, where have you found him? Where, where's he been? You know, do you get that all the time? People identify you wherever you walk around this beautiful city. Look, I'm I'm lucky enough that I'm still recognised, so um, uh, it's nice. And in Durban, yeah, I feel at home. And obviously, um, with many Rangers, it was quite a special time when we won the league, you know, the inaugural PSL. And um, so, obviously, a lot of people still come up to us and say, "Hey, George, remember those times in Chatsworth Stadium? I yeah. was there. I was a youngster, and I, you know, we we used to cheer you on." And it was so it's an amazing time. Durban's small, so um, yeah, people remember. And um, we haven't had much in the soccer, uh, you know, in the fraternity to actually um, celebrate over the years. So um, people tend to look back. <laughs> but why do you think that's the case, though? Because, I mean, you know, you know, Durban was so rich in football, whether it was, uh, you know, Durban Bushbucks or Durban City, African Wanderers, obviously Amazulu were there in the forefront in so many years. Yes, Manning Rangers because of what happened in 96, 97 under Gordon Nigerson. But why has there been hmm, so little to cheer about? Yeah, it's a good question, Robert. I mean, look, I, I think about 25 years ago when I was still playing for Bafana, and you know, there was some stats coming out that they they were saying like like 80 percent of the Bafana players up to that point were um, KZN yeah. um, players or born bred in KZN and then um, taken up in you know going to the Houting clubs, and um, so 80 percent was quite a big number. Yeah. I, I'm, I wasn't sure if the stat was right, but. Um, when you look back and you think about all the players where they started their footballs, yeah. a lot of the a lot of them were KZN based. So, I don't know why that's changed, but um, yeah, it's a pity because um, we we do have a rich footballing history, and um, you know, and Durban's crying out for yeah. for a club to you know to to win something, and then uh, for for everyone to get behind it. Uh, well, I look at that particular era that you talk about, and you know, your funny Maditas were from. The new castles of this world, Helman Mkelele, the late Sizum Dawung, uh, you know, the, the list is endless as far as that is concerned yeah, because yeah. that was a representation as far as KZN with the, you know, Wade Duplessis, et cetera. It, it was solid, <laughs> but somewhere, somehow, that solidity kind of breaks down. A season where there's about, what, uh, four or five clubs coming through from KZN, and guess what? The one that gets the chop is the one from Peter Maritzburg. Maritzburg United. Yeah. And then the ones that are surviving, also not doing too well. You look at Richardsburg, etc. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much of football even, George, you watch. No, I do watch. Yeah. I, I do keep a keen interest, obviously. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not um, that, that involved anymore, but I, I do have a keen interest. Uh, football's in my blood. I yeah. love the game and obviously gave a lot to me. So um, I always I, I always keep my eye open looking, looking into it. And um um, yeah, so it is a pity from a Durban perspective, but um, I think, you know, um, football in the country is, is, is healthy. Um, there's a lot to improve on, obviously, yeah. but um, uh, I think, you know, it's, it doesn't matter uh, from a province, which province uh, the players are coming from. Ultimately, we're all pulling in the same direction when we're looking at Bafana and hoping that, um, you know, that Bafana will start, uh, you know, doing things on the world stage again. Will they ever? 
tough one to 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 talk about, but um, I think yeah, um, every you know, there's sometimes you get these generations um, mm. that just come through, and and sometimes people don't understand how and why it actually happened, but. Yeah. Um, um, generations come through. You get uh, three or four really talented players at the at coming through at the same time, and they manage to to pull through a, a team. So um, it's not like it used to be in the old days yeah. where we used to have um, you know foreign based players or you know representing the core of Bafana, and then um, obviously the local players would fill in the gaps, mm-hmm. which was a, a great experience for the local players because um, it happened to me, obviously, mm-hmm. you know. So. Um, the guys like um, like Lucas Radebe and uh, Mark Fish and uh, Sean Bartlett, um, former singer, had all already gone overseas yeah. and were applying their trade there, and obviously coming back. And we had a million questions to ask them, and um, you know, it, it was it was nice to be able to to fall back on that and, and get some kind of experience before you actually get your chance to get to Europe. And it's strange when you talk about that class of players. And in a, in a week where Galatasaray showed Man United what it means as far as the Turkish football is concerned, yeah. and that's where your Debo Komolois, Fanny Matidas, uh, Steve Kompelas, they all went and played, uh, you know, football at the highest level, yeah. is that we were so blessed going into 96, mm-hmm. going into 95 previously. And the man sitting where you are sitting right now, last night was Mike McCarver, man, that, you know, whose team you played for yes. in the amateur stages before Clyde Barker called you up. is. Why then are we missing the mark if we were blessed just after readmission into local football or to sport generally in South Africa? I think we also a victim of our own success um, in terms of how our league went, and um, uh, you know it 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 improved vastly. Um, a lot of money came into the league, and obviously with a lot of money comes a lot of complacency as well. So um, the players tend to get complacent, uh, tend to think, "Well, I've made it here. Mm-hmm. I'm living comfortably." Where before. A lot of the football players weren't really living that comfortably. You know, they were really talented and um, could have played overseas but never had the opportunities. So when those opportunities opened up, I mean, the players were really hungry and um, really wanted to prove something on the world stage. And obviously, um, you know, we, we've, we, we rattle out all these names, but... Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's also difficult footsteps to follow, and I think all the players, the local players, now have become a bit complacent, and um, they don't really look to Europe that much anymore. Um, I'm be, uh, I'm generalizing now, but um, most of them are pretty happy earning um, really good money here in South Africa, and um, you know, being a, a big fish in a small pond, where you know it's really tough to 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 take yourself out of that um, environment and then and, and try and make it in Europe. Well, big money in SA. You hop on a flight, you go to Europe, try and buy yourself a can of Coke and then see how much money that really is. And that's where I think the reality of any situation tells you how weak we are, obviously, from a financial perspective. I hear in the news headlines, yeah, price of petrol is going to go down next week. What are we supposed to do? Jump up and down, celebrate. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not that kind of party because, trust me, whenever the p- price of petrol goes down, Two weeks later, it's going to go by double that amount. Yeah, double up, yeah. You know, so it's like mind <laughs> yeah. games. It's like people yeah. come and lie to you about ESCOM. Oh, the power this. There was wet cold on a very hot day. You know, so we, we should not play games because you, and, and the reason why I use all of these examples is that you started very early and as a footballer to say, I'm not going to play this game forever. So what does George do post-retirement? I talked about the law degree, but then also the nuance that you have towards business, towards property, towards renting out, leasing here. And I talk about 
golf. I talk about what you earn from golf, what people desire when you're playing a game and a round of golf in the midst of so many business people. How did you get to that stage, George, where you were a brilliant footballer, but also your mind as a business person was equally as sharp, but equally as brilliant in terms of saying this, this little letter thing that I'm kicking is not going to be forever. Yeah, I think a lot of the players don't look at it like that. Um, I looked at it that that little other thing I'm kicking around is going to take me places because of, you know, that that um, that fame, fortune and, and all that comes with it. So um, there are trappings there and a lot of people fall into them. And I, I myself, I can't say that I, um, I didn't. Um, and, and it was pretty hard to keep pulling yourself back out and, 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 and seeing the reality and saying, look, there's a few more years left of this and then what's going to happen? So from young, obviously, um, I, I got law de- two law degrees, uh, a BCom and LLB, so um, I got my basis. And then from there on, I, I could have already left for overseas prior to my law deg- uh, degree being complete. But um, with two years to go, I said to myself that that's, it's just impossible that I must leave now. But in my heart, I knew that I could play in Europe, and which was a major thing. So it was just delaying everything by a, a, a short space. Um, you know, earning 500 rand a month when I could be earning you know, 500,000 a month. Sure. Nowadays, the players in South Africa are, are earning 500,000 a month, some of them. And, um, you know, we're talking about that kind of bracket. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a different mindset. And, um, you know, my goal was always to, to use that fame and fortune to, to, to move on to what I really ultimately wanted to be was a businessman. And, um, and I was lucky enough that I could pursue my dream and I was lucky enough that, um, you know, football gave me that avenue. And of course, um, I used uh, a lot of those connections that I made and um, tried to learn from them. So, you know, it's just instead of superficial, uh, superficial conversation with a lot of them, um, I tried to always try and glean some kind of information out of them. And um, some were very forthcoming, others weren't. So, um, but, you know, if you don't try, you, you, you don't succeed. I mean, you talk about that 500 rand that have made... You pull out your hair and you had a massive chunk of it while you were playing. You still have. Uh, I don't know if I read it wrong, but I think there was a stage where you, you might have said that by the time you left to go play overseas, you had actually reached that threshold. You had reached the threshold where you were able to earn at least a million rand a month. Yeah, look, um, look. Before I left for uh, left South Africa, um, the jump from Manning Rangers to Supersport was a massive jump financially for me as well. So um, you know, uh, going up to a, a Gauteng based club, well, not Gauteng, well, yeah, Pretoria based club. So, yeah. um, and they were obviously pour, putting a lot of money into football at the time. It got me into a, a really good financial position, but of course. Um, what most players don't think of is when they sign a contract, they, they think um, short term and thinking, what can I get in the next two, three years, you know, um, in, in terms of signing a, an agreement. That agreement that I signed was basically the platform that, that led me to bigger things. And I say it's the platform because they wanted me badly. Um, I had a few clubs wanting me at the time. And so obviously the negotiations were very favorable in my, from my side. And I insisted on a lot of clauses in there that um, ultimately led to to my success financially. Um, I mean, share course. that, George. I mean, you're a tired footballer now, so it, it really doesn't matter. So that if there's a listening ear, yeah. when, when you say you had to emphasize a couple of clauses that they needed to include yeah. so that you could reach a financial stage where you can breathe and also just focus on your, your welfare, your well-being, and, you know, still the young family it was back then with your wife, Ria. But... 
over and above that, what were those clauses that stood out for you and you said, listen, let's tie this down, make sure this happens, etc.? Well, for one, buyout clause, basically. Um, uh, you know, back then, it wasn't really a, a thing. And um, I was one of, I can't say I was one of the first, but I was one of the first who thought about things like that. And um, I, I put it into my contract with Supersport. So I had signed a three-year contract. And, um, you know, they, I made sure that they could recover the, some of their money that they paid out for me because I was a record transfer at the time locally which was 500,000. Now 500,000, you can't even buy a pair of shin pads with <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but you know what I mean? I mean, you, sure. you can't get the kind of player that you, you would want for 500,000. So um, over the three years, I basically prorated that contract yeah. over three years and said to him, look, if I leave after one year and I have the right to leave, you, you'll get one third of the money you paid for me. And, um, you know, they were, they were like, no, George, that, that, that doesn't fly with us. And I said, well, no, the other clubs are agreeing to it. So um, it's, it's, it's either that or, or I, I go to another club. So, um, you know, there were a lot of clauses that they weren't used to um, looking at and seeing and, and having to negotiate. But, they looked at it and said, look, we really need this player. We want him. So we'll, we'll agree to something yeah, like yeah. that. So um, it, it just happened after one year. I finished top goal scorer that, 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 that season. And, of course, all the European clubs started uh, wanting me again. And um, I negotiated out of my contract. So I, I had the right to negotiate on my behalf. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to ask permission from Supersport. So I could talk to any club I wanted at any point in time in my contract, which now is also, you know, that's called tapping up players. And so... But I had it in contractually. So Were I, you with an agent at that stage? No, I did it all myself. That is crazy. Yeah, so um, a lot of agents obviously would um, would contact me and then I'd say, no problem, you can make the contact with the club, but I will do all my negotiations. And so um, it was always um, a direct with a, a direct contact with the club. And then I knew that my, you know, my, my position was protected because um, agents like Mike McCobb, Mm-hmm. Uh, you you don't get many like like him, mm-hmm. and um, he's gold. And whoever he represents is is very lucky. But then you get a lot of agents that are are Shocks. really out there just to, you, you know, they basically look at you like a piece of meat, and yeah. it's a meat market out there, and yeah. they they try and sell you and buy you, and it's just crazy. So those were the kind of clauses that I put yeah. in, and um, yeah, and and got me where I needed to be. All right, you had a good to where you went to and where you ended up because your journey is as fascinating as the kind of character that you brought into SA football. So after the break, we'll come back. George Komentarakis uh, is my guest and you'll find out as well how he got to that international contract. Also taking your WhatsApp voice notes. I see there's plenty already uh, flooding our studios right now. They call them an accomplished businessman, developer and investor. Trust me, they were not wrong. Morales Sports Worldwide on 947, Monday to Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. Hashtag MSW. George Komandarakis is in studio. And, and I can tell because of the reaction. Social media-wise and also our WhatsApp voice notes. Let's Good evening, uh, Mr. Marawa. And good evening to the legend, George Komandarakis. What a great striker you got, uh, the Mr. Marawa. I think uh, in his era, that Manning Rangers team was very 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 exciting and uh, going on to lift uh, the league with uh, the coach who got in Ikasin at helm i think they were a very very formidable team from Edeben. and what i want to know from uh, e legend mr marawa is that there were rumors that he was looking forward to buy status samazulu and what happened there what was uh, the stumbling block to strike uh, that deal thank you mr marawa good show 
Oh, spoken lady, thank you so much indeed. I knew, I knew, I knew someone somewhere was going to ask that question. Was it true though? Let's get that out of the way. Were you on the verge of buying the status of Amazul? Yeah, um, look, the negotiations didn't go very well at all. Um, but of course, um, when you own something and you want to keep it, um, you're not going to make it very easy for somebody to to take, uh, yeah. you know, to take the franchise. So, and I still respect the owners and I don't have any problem with it. But um, yeah, it, it was tough negotiations because it was just from the, you know, the, the financial um, figures that were thrown out as to buying that status were so far higher than what I, you know, that I, that I thought were even reasonable. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it is true. Um, I can now say it quite openly. It was with FC Basel, um, you know, that was the connection. Um, what, well, as in the partnership? As in the partnership. So yourself so, and Basel would yeah, have been in partnership to, to buy. In, um, yeah. 80% of the money, I was going to come up with 20 and I was mm. going to be 51% shareholder of that and they were going to be 49% shareholders. Um, they trusted in me because obviously I do have business experience. They trusted right. in me because it was a KZN club. I also told them that all my business interests are here and I don't want to be buying a franchise that's somewhere else, that's somewhere else and we're having to travel. It wasn't going to be my thing. Um the money was actually here in a in a in a bank account. It was it you know to show proof of funds. Let me be honest, George. Yeah, I was told a hundred thousand rand. A hundred thousand or a hundred million? You mean a hundred million? <laughs> yeah, you need to. Hundred thousand was the pocket money that was going to be used to buy the champagne to toast the success <laughs> of the deal going through. Yeah. So, what what I had in terms of figures was the 100 million rand. You're absolutely right. But it could have been 100 million for anything. It could have been what you put down initially, then somebody else. I have no idea. What made it so difficult? Well, um, basically, that franchise, if you remember back then, was bought for roughly about 40 million. Yes. Um, uh, and then it, it they had a few years where they struggled. Um, there was a lot of problems there from, from the side of, you know, the money was still owed and stuff, but that wasn't what, what, what uh, broke the deal. Mm. When, when I did start, you know, I, I, I came in with, with, with a lower, well, not lower than the 40 million, but higher than the 40 million in order to, to allow them to say, you know what, it's, it's, it's a good offer, mm. we'll, we'll move on. Um, they, 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 they bandied about with, with a figure of about 250 million, yep. which um, I said, guys, if we're talking 250 million, I said, uh, I should be looking at uh, chiefs, uh, yeah. pirates at that, at that time. Um, and, um, you know, I, I made them a firm offer. At the time, it was 70 million. Um, so it was like 30 million over what they'd paid for it. They'd had the club for a few years. That's crazy. Um, I thought that would be quite reasonable and um, in order to, you know, to move them out of a club that they didn't want to leave. So it wasn't as if, you know, they were looking, um, you know, it, it was unsolicited. So was this I, Dr. Patrick Sokala at the time? Yes, at the yeah. time, yes. And, and the Sokala family, yeah. yeah. So um, it was unsolicited. So And it didn't go, it, it died pretty quickly because there, there was no room to maneuver. I mean, uh, I, I told him, I told him what I would like and I, I said to him what I'd require for them to open up their books and, and for me to do a due diligence on it. Yeah. Um, and obviously we were stuck on that, on that valuation. So um, it, it didn't go very far from there. Um, I also had a partnership already secured with with a high school here in in, in Durban, um, whereby I was going to set up 
pretty much what a lot of clubs have done now um, over the past, you know, where they, they, they school the kids at, at a high school, mm-hmm. um, get them an education as well as um, having them on a different timetable to the rest of the high school. So uh, where it allows for trainings in the morning and, oh, um, nice. you know, and so that was all thought of. Um, budget was there for three houses, which would convert to, to hostels basically. So that accommodation, they could, accommodation they yeah. could stay in. And um, they would be fed there. Um, you know, they would, they would have people overlooking them so that they may manage their studies because obviously that was very important to me. And I also had the city of Basel had bought into the idea. Um, so it wasn't only the club, but the city of Basel from a philanthropic point of view was willing to, to, to put up money on a yearly basis basically for the education of the kids. So that side would have been taken care of um, by the city of Basel mm-hmm. and their budget and um, the club FC Basel would have put in, put in uh, wow. towards a budget of buying players and so on and running the club as a football club. But the educational side of things would have, done, would have been done through city of Basel. But who would say no to that? How, how though? Um, well, I didn't say no to it. I brought them I, in, but uh, there, was no, a, no. there was no avenue. Yeah, but uh, it's, you know, it's like you ask, it's like me coming in yeah. unsolicited saying to you, I want to buy your car, Robert. And yeah. you're saying, no, it's, I, I don't want to sell my car. But Robert, I'll, I'll pay over the top for it. Not interested. I want my car. So, uh, you, you know, you've got to respect that. And uh, so I say I don't have any uh, no ill feeling about it, but it was just, I felt it was a great opportunity. Um, sure. But of course, they, they don't see it that way. It's their club. They want to do what they want to do with their club at the time. And um, yeah, you, like I said, you have to respect it. Fast forward, then you have Sandy Lezungu buy the franchise. Do you have any idea what he then paid for it? No, um, I haven't. It's it's been so long since yeah. um, that happened, and um, yeah, and uh, I, I think the Zungus have done very well with the club. Not to say the Sokelas didn't. Yeah, but, sure. Um, different uh, generation. Yeah, you it, take it it's somewhere also, else. You know, different ideas, yeah. new ideas, and I think um, obviously uh, it, it it also you know bringing Benny McCarthy into the fold was very successful for them, and um, obviously losing Benny after that was uh, might have been a blow for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think they've done very well with the club. Um, you know, their direction I'm not really aware of. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, once once that um, that deal died, I took a step back from it and then I concentrated on my other businesses and then um, football really fell away. You know, it, it was a great opportunity at the time. I think it would have been a great opportunity for South African football. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been a great opportunity for Durban-based clubs because um, it would have put us in a financial bracket where we could have competed Maybe not with Sundowns, Chiefs, Pirates, but we would have been probably one tier just under. Yeah. So um, it would have put us in, in a really good position and um, would have had a really nice base, especially for the, for the players coming through, to be educated as well as footballers so that if your career yeah. doesn't last very long, um, you have something to fall back on. I mean, that's a model that works. It works for basketball. It works in the NBA. It works, I, I think, I, I look back and I say that there's a lot of academies that spring up and and you find that the balance between the education as well as the football is not always as grounded as what your idea has set out to do and it would have been such a, a fairy tale story though especially given how your story was almost like a fairy tale because of how you joined Basel if i remember christian gross yeah he had just come out from from tottenham uh, yeah, yeah from tottenham hotspur yeah. coaching there and then he was there to look at some swiss defender who was earmarked to mark you yeah and then you sorted him out he even scored two goals And yeah, then instead uh, of him going, he was like, hey, I want this kid to sign up. And that's how the beautiful marriage with uh, Basel started. Yeah, so it's always, I always say, like, um, it's, it's just consistent performance that, that yeah. will allow you opportunities. And then obviously, 
I was lucky enough that um, that Christian came from England, and yeah. he, uh, you know he had um, he had set his mind up. Obviously, speaking to him later in the later years, and even after I left Basel, he had said, you know, when I come to that Swiss based club. I want to build something that's that's based around like an English style football, um, really exciting, scoring a lot of goals, um, playing with you know really more direct football than than the European cultures used to, and um, and also huge emphasis on heading. I mean, I still remember, you know, the first time I met him, he just said to me, uh, he says, "It's not because I'm talking to you." He says, "But I I love the heading of the ball." He says, I think it's a proponent of the game that has been, um, you know, has been left behind. Um, I really believe that, you know, a player, a holistic approach to football, you know, heading, you need to be just as good at heading the ball um, as with your feet. And he says, you know, I came to, he told me the story, you know, he says, I came to watch his player. He was a national team player. We were looking to him as a defender. And when I saw you play, uh, I turned around to, to, to you know, the, the assistant that I had with me. And I said, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. Um, he had never heard of me. Obviously, it was my, I'd only played like uh, three, four months in Europe. So I was really a no-name in Europe. And um, he, he just said, I, I need to have this guy. And um, yeah, that's where it all started. And you almost had like um, an Erling Holland type of existence in Basel. I mean, not everyone scores 48 goals in 90 games. And, and that's the kind of figures you walked away with. Yeah. So clearly something clicked there because in the end, None other than a guy who has scouted so many players, including a Mark Fish, a Filmer singer, etc., like John Masana says, hey, listen, let's go to the World Cup 2002. you part of my team. You make an appearance in every one of those three games for South Africa at yeah. the World Cup. I mean, what's that period like for you? Because, sure, I mean, you must be living your dream at that stage. Robert, it's actually a lot harder than what you, you, you say. Um, yeah. You know, it was a period where I, I debuted in 97, um, just after we won African Nations, um, with a Bafana side that was really world-class at the time and ranked uh, accordingly. I made a debut as a youngster, played four games, bit part player. And um, I, I can admit to you that I should have only been a bit part player because the players ahead of me were better. But I was given the opportunity to learn from them and given the opportunity to actually plow my trade in the national team. Got four caps and then was left out for four years. Oh. And in those four years, I probably played my best football ever in my career. Scoring goals in Europe, you know, um, uh, playing for, for top clubs, getting to the, getting to the uh, you know, international stage and scoring a lot of goals. Like in my debut season in Europe, I scored 12 goals. Um, I didn't play all the games because yeah. I was. It was my first season. I, I only, you know, it took a while to get into it. But then in the latter part of the season, I, I think I played like uh, 20 games in a row and I scored 12 goals. And um, that was my debut season in Europe. Yes. Um, and the Swiss league doesn't have a lot of teams, so it's not a lot of games. So, mm -hmm. um, and that's where Christian saw me. And then obviously, yeah, my debut for Basel was uh, I scored four goals. So, um, you know, he he signed me for for a lot of money for uh, at the time. Um, it was a free transfer, so obviously my signing on fee was was huge, and yeah. and I was I was lucky that I repaid it back starting in the first game. So, yeah. But talking about the South African thing, you know, Jomo um, called me back, and he was he was thrown in the deep end. Obviously, he yes. called me back, and he was pretty frank with me, and uh, I, I like that about him. He told me, George, you're not in my plans. He says, uh, um, I don't think you're going to be in the squad. Um, that was his first sentence to me. He says, I don't think you're going to be in the squad, but you're here. Give mm. it your best. He says, that's all I'm asking from you. And I said, well, thank you for being honest. Uh, that's what exactly what I'm going to be doing. And as the trainings went by, 
um, within a few trainings, he called me back in and he, and he sat me down and he said, George, he says, I've, you know, I, I've uh, underestimated you. He says, I remember what you left at mm. and now it's four years on and I can see where you're at. And he says, um, uh, my idea has changed. So he says, even though we're only three trainings in, he says, don't, don't think you're in my squad, but I'm really now seriously looking at you. I said, well, I respect that. And I said, oh, you'll get more of it, uh, you know, at every session. And um, I want to be in this side. And he ultimately put me as squad player number 23, which was the last player to be picked. Um, <laughs> but that's, that's awesome. I mean, that World Cup, I mean, that admitted it was, we had our mistakes. We should have. That Spain game should not have been the way it ended. And the history there will come out one day as to what exactly happened there. But just you being there. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, as a as a person, like like I said, as Jomo, if you if you take the the, the strides forward, Jomo told me you got no chance. Then he told me maybe you got a chance. Then I was picked as the twenty third player. Then at every game that I played, it, it didn't every friendly game we played, I was scoring. So I'd come on as a substitute. I'd play ten minutes and I'd score. And then he would say to me, "I'm going to start you." And ultimately, he started me against Turkey. Yeah which um, we beat Turkey 2-0. I assisted Benny. And, and if, you, if anyone remembers those goals from Benny McCarthy and doubts the quality of that man, it's just incredible. I mean, I still get goosebumps yeah. thinking of what he did. Turkey finished that World Cup in third position. And basically, it was the Benny McCarthy show that day. He absolutely tore them to pieces. And we're talking about world-class team and world-class defenders. And um, after that game... In, in my mind, I said to myself, there's, there's no better South African player, past or present, um, than Benny McCarthy. Obviously, there are a lot that, um, that, that come close, but uh, it was an amazing time. And, and me playing next to him, it was an honor. And uh, I mean, even though in my own right, I had earned the right yeah. to be there, I managed to play three games from being a bit part player. I actually played all three World Cup games, which was amazing. <laughs> that is crazy. And the praise that you give Benny, I love that because, you know, it's players like you who we honor today that love to honor others. That, that means a lot. We're going to head to a break, though. But tell me, there was, a, there was a thing Jomo had. It was called Special Projects. Did you know anything about them? Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no, yes or no. Yes or no, yes or no. You know, you know about the Mooty Man, right? <laughs> Marana Sports Worldwide on 947. Monday to Friday from 6 to 7 p.m. Hashtag MSW. Uh, greetings to you, uh, Robert and uh, George. Uh, this is A.B. Mulloy from Naturena. Uh, please ask uh, George uh, why during their time uh, the strikers used to score uh, the least uh, more than uh, 15 goals. Uh, whereas in these uh, days and in this modern football, uh, strikers struggle to even reach on the uh, 10 goals mark. Thank you very much. I'll get that to George. Hi, Marawa. Uh, in George, we had our own Peter Crouch. Um, from where I, I grew up, um, in Nambit, we used to call him Umlindelo because every time we played against Manning Rangers, we knew would he, we had to have uh, we, we had to have a night vigil because of that guy. <laughs> he, he was he was he was he was he was a totally different striker to what we had. Uh, after him, or let me rather put it this way, he gave birth to Abodale Studinsky, uh, Abo. Abo Abo Kilambe, 
um you know big strikers um and the, those strikers were very very difficult to mark or to play against and that was because of george you you then went on to play for a very unfashionable club uh, meaning rangers but you guys played very very effective football i mean i'm reminded of players like abosol in demand um and other players that that used to play with uh, at meaning rangers and um, because of the effectiveness of the football that you used to play unfashionable at the time but very very effective um you you won yourself a contract overseas and you continue to to play um you know the kind of football that you played very very dangerous very effective i just want to say you contributed towards um, psl as a brand you did very well um for many rangers as well as for the country we we miss strikers like you uh, in south africa i've got no question but i just want to say that thank you for your contribution to south african football georgie we must never forget that we used to call you umlindel umlindel on the night vigil <laughs> oh you know what there's so many tributes that are coming through and mkumbi he will respond to that was i making notes of everyone's comments um, i'm not sure I hope George doesn't cry easily. Good evening, Rob, and good evening to the legend. Rob, you are talking to a prolific striker there who had an impressive aerial presence as well. Uh, Big George uh, was a top goal scorer in an era where we had 18 teams uh, uh, in the league having to face different types of defenders uh, but emerging victorious and scoring those important goals for men and rangers. And uh, Big George is one of the few South Africans uh, to have achieved what I call the footballer's dream of having to play in a UEFA Champions League and represent the country in a World Cup. And But also what is unique about that gentleman, Rob, is that he's one of the few South Africans to have been on the score sheet where we have, uh, we've beat a European opposition. It was in the match in 2002 uh, in a tournament in Hong Kong where Bafana Bafana beat uh, Scotland uh, 2-0. Uh, he capitalized and scored that goal coming off from the bench uh, uh, that game. Uh, but I just want to find out with him having to have such an illustrious career, what is the highlight of your career, uh, Big George? Uh, thank you so much. Taboko, thank you very, very much. Oh, you'll have to write a book for that, but we'll get his comment in a second. Evening, Mr. Marawa, and evening to the MSW listeners, and evening to Mr. Um, George. Um, I have a question for Mr. George. Can you say that um, attaining that uh, law degree uh, helped you throughout your footballing career in terms of getting um, good contracts and getting the good money that you deserve throughout your career? And uh, uh, another question, uh, can you say that players should study something that um, involves law or management in order for them to have knowledge in terms of um, in terms of footballing contracts and in terms of them getting what they deserve at the time. Thank you, Mr. Marawa. Great question. Thank you so much indeed. Let's whittle through those as quickly as we can because I've got so much, <laughs> George. It's crazy. Um, let's start with the law degree. That's the freshest one that's out there. How did that help you? Um, Robert, great questions from um, you know all the listeners yeah. there. Uh, it's amazing, actually. Um, yes, the law degree definitely helped. Um, it paid itself back a million times over, to yeah. be perfectly honest. Um, you know, when, when people look at you as an educated person, um, they, they treat you differently, number one. So, um, sitting in front of people representing myself is, 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 um, you know, it, it's a lot of the times you come across arrogant because you, you're fighting for something for yourself. But then um, when they look at you and they say, well, we're actually talking to a lawyer, somebody who's studied, it's a different perception. So um, 
it doesn't necessarily have to be a, no, a law degree, but I mean, a lot of the football players have got a lot of time on their hands. Mm. They should be using that more productively. You can still have your, a great time, um, enjoy the, you know, the, your career, focus on your career as a footballer, but spend the time um, getting something, you know, if you don't do it prior to becoming a pro footballer, then do it while you are. You've got plenty of time and um, a lot of resources to, to fall back on. Yeah, I've got I've got another one here. I think a lot of great ones. I mean, A.B. Malloy uh, also had a great one talking about why are they no longer strikers who are able to score like you did. Yeah. I mean, we had a, a time where our top goal scorer was probably going to be like on 10 goals at the yeah. end of the season. Look, it does fluctuate. Um, as a country, we, you, you go through a period where you get really um, yeah. to, top strikers. I mean, I played in the era with, uh, uh, you know, in the era with Daniel Madal. Um, guys uh, like him were, were scoring goals for fun. Yeah. Um, we don't really have that um, anymore, but doesn't mean that uh, it, it won't happen. A striker, I still believe it can't be taught. Um, it's, it's a natural instinct. It's something that, that comes... Um, as a youngster, I had it, you know, my, my father would always say, look, you, you, you have that instinct, mm, mm. hone it. Obviously, you can hone it and, and improve on it and um, like in anything, but it, it has to be in you. And uh, I, I don't really understand why um, a lot of the players aren't, aren't, aren't that, that caliber. But I also think in South African football, our midfielders tend to worry about the wrong things at the wrong times, you know, and uh, at the most imp- crucial time when a striker makes his run, you need the ball when you want it, not when the midfielder wants to give it. And I think that's that's a major thing. And um, I was lucky enough to play with a, a lot of players that that um, you know looked at their striker first and not at themselves. When Mkumbi Kumada was talking, I, I could tell it's got a an effect because he wasn't asking a question; he was giving a statement, uh, talking about how playing against you was almost considered as a night vigil. Um, that is the kind of danger. That people had almost to. I mean, you were you were relaying a fascinating story, uh, just as we hit the the ad break, which I thought, geez, okay, this is gold for on air because it almost ponders around the mythical side of life. Yeah. Um, what what did you make of that? Because I just thought that narration was just so powerful. Look, uh, it's it's a lot to do with self belief, eh? and um, it was something that was really instilled by my father. My father had Navy SEAL training, um, so he he was. He's really strong and strong within himself and um, he tried to make sure that uh, he passed that on to his sons and um, it always has helped me. Um, self-belief is the, is the main thing and um, when you believe in yourself and you don't give power to other things to take away from you, um, then uh, th- then you can go a long way. So I always say I don't really give power to a lot of things that, that might you know, that, that might, might take my power away. So um, I'm not a very superstitious person. Um, I really believe in my abilities and if I set out to do something, I go out and get it done. So, um, yeah, it, it, um, it borders on, like you just say, on that mythical thing and, uh, and on uh, <laughs> night visual. <laughs> that, that's actually quite funny, yeah, but, but, but so true. It's crazy. You know, when you talk about a crazy moment, um, it's, it's a good question, Tebo. It's a very good question because when you ask George Komantarakis what, is, what has been his highlight? in his career, how do you even answer that? It's actually quite simple. Um, you know, things get fancy on, you know, when you when you make it big and things get fancy and you, you know, people think those accolades are great and, uh, you know, and, and that uh, maybe playing in the Champions League was the best thing or playing in the World Cup. Yes, they all rank up there. But to be totally honest is, um, you know, making my debut for the national team yeah. was probably stands up there. Um, I was probably one of the proudest moments in my life. 
Um, even though I got a bit part in in the game, it it didn't matter. It, Against it just Congo. felt like it just felt like you know I belonged there, and that's where I, I needed to be. And um, that's why I never turned my back on the national team, and I still feel very strongly about it. And and players that do, I, d- I don't I don't judge them. Obviously, mm-hmm. everyone has their reasons, and. Um, but yeah, that was probably one of my proudest moments. And then winning the league with Manning Rangers. It just, that family atmosphere, that, that team was like, we were brothers. We were, like, we were family. And, mm. um, you know, it, it's, you, you can't recreate things like that. Um, you know, different cultures, different people from different aspects of life, all um, struggling in their soccer careers, all not having made it. A lot of rejects in terms of being rejected from big clubs, coming back down and finding themselves and then... Um, and producing performances that they know they're capable mm. of, and then all of a sudden the big clubs are back at them, snapping yeah. them up. And one of them could be, you know, like a, a good example from who came to Rangers and went back up was Colin Indlania, if you yeah, remember I him. Remember and, very well. Yeah, so he came Mr. from a Davidson. big club, came back down, and then was was asked to come back up to the big clubs again. So those kind of examples, and obviously that stands out in my career. You know, that family time with Manning Rangers and yeah. being at a small club and and um, ultimately succeeding. All right, talk about Manning Rangers. Hi, George. It's Clinton Larson here. I just want to say that you truly are a legend for what you achieved in your career. Even though you gave me the nickname Legend, it was an absolute blast having you as a teammate. You will always be remembered for your incredible work ethic and your desire to win. You proved yourself as one of the best strikers of your generation. And it was a privilege to call you my teammate and friend. So many fond memories we created with our time together at Manning Rangers. I wish you all the best now and for you and your family in the future. Take care, George. Bye. Clinton Larson, thank you so much indeed. Hi, I would like to take this opportunity and uh, pay tribute to, to Big George uh, for an unbelievable and stellar career, you know, spanning from South Africa to Switzerland, where we had many battles during his time at uh, clubs like Lutzen and Basel, whilst I was still at Zurich, um, and then also becoming my teammate uh, years later. Uh, not just in the national team, but also playing in the over-35 team when I was based in Durban. We had some great times together, some good success, and hopefully he's still using that shin pads I gave him. You know, it's always brought him luck. He scored a lot more goals, uh, and I just want to wish him well for the future. You know, he will still always be, in my opinion, uh, the second best head of the ball in South Africa after me. (laughs) Thanks. All the best, G. Sean Bartlett, thank you so much indeed. He says he's still got those shin pads. He uses them, and now he is the greatest header. Georgie Porgy, an absolute legend, an absolute gent, um, an individual that I've known for many, many, many years before I even hooked up with him eventually to play with him in the national team. George uh, used to play in Durban. Uh, we used to have the Newcastle tournament. And yes, um, George, you do remember, we do used to beat you, uh, my friend Arcadia Shepherds. But Georgie, um, phenomenal individual. Um, always enjoyed your company, probably more off the field than on the field, Georgie, but um, you did wonders for South Africa. You represented our country in Switzerland and in, and in Greece uh, proudly. And uh, thank you for everything you've done for South African football. Long may it continue. Um, the things that you're trying to do off the field now uh, with football. Lots of love, my friend. And uh, George, we have to say, George, Robert, if George was an ice cream, George would eat himself. Love you, Georgie. Thank you for everything, my brother. Um, we're not going to mention the player's name, but I do remember coming back from uh, from Ghana World Cup qualifier where uh, I think we lost 3-0 or 3-1. I'm not even sure the scoreline. But George and, uh, and myself, we did um, dare to get one of our teammates into the... 
the, the, where the luggage compartment above our seat, we dared to put him inside there. When we dared him to go inside and we got him inside, uh, well done, George. We won't mention the player's name, but. <laughs> yeah, he's mentioned it to me. Don't worry. Don't worry. Mark Fish, thank you so much, you legend. I'm going to have to cut the next tribute because this guy, he said, uh, he sends a tribute for over two minutes, and there's two minutes to go in the show. Hi, Robbie. Judge Komantarakis. Ah, what a wonderful striker. The man with a lightning header. Yeah, guess what? Always I used to have a, a problem marking that that guy. Uh, he wouldn't even bother to jump. He'll just hit the ball. If you see me standing with him at the distance, you'll think he's carrying a paper bag. And it was me marking him. I think, yeah, he was the tallest ever in our football. Yeah, three point what what. And then uh, I think the second best was Sulungisan and Leila with two point what what. And uh, Macbeth, the late Macbeth, one point what what. Yeah, those are the tallest. They always give me a headache. And they had a, a lightning header, that man. Jesus, his header, same as, uh, as if he kicked the ball uh, with his foot. Yeah, that's George. Come on, Tarakis. Yeah. Joji, yeah. My man, I wish you all the best in life. And I just want to ask you, uh, why us legends or ex-pros after football, they just want us, all of us, to be coaches. Hmm? I tried to send my CV somewhere to be a bus driver. Ah, they just send this, uh, what do you call it, Mickey Mouse thing, smiley. I said, ja, 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 ja. Ah, I'm in trouble, yeah? Oh, my gents, goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Don't send us your tribute so late. <laughs> I would have loved to hear the rest of that, uh, but we'll play it for you in the week. Don't worry. Um, it's a pity, man. I wanted to ask your daughter, tell you a question or two, because I've, I've, I've looked at her expression, so fascinated, because maybe at times uh, those that are kids to us, they don't realize. And I say us as a collective of individuals, I mean, nowhere near the stature that you are at, is understanding what the people have said to you, understanding what a Sean Bartlett, uh, what a, a Clinton Lassell, a Magenz, a Mark Fish have had to say, and a whole lot other people have had to say. I'm probably not going to have enough time to give you time to say goodbye, but I just want to thank you so much, George. If we do a part two, we will. I think it deserves it because, my goodness, we've been inundated. Um, that's what happens when you disappear from us for so long. George, you have a great weekend, man. What an absolute honor. It's been, Robert. It's always a pleasure and reminiscing about the uh, the times and um, yeah, speaking to, hearing all these uh, all the, all these legends, um, you know, saying such beautiful things about me. But um, I think uh, you know these guys have shown in their own careers how how brilliant they were, and um, yeah, it was always a pleasure being around them and with them, and uh, yeah, wish them all the best in their lives as well. And um, Robert, thank you. And thanks to all the listeners for taking Appreciate the time it. out to, to actually give them some of those tributes as well. Appreciate it, man. Until next time, we'll bring Georgie in for part two.